0: When I'm like 50, then that, that I'll serve you God, you know, this is my time, this is a bad prayer. Because the Lord is like, Daniel, why don't you give me your best? Which is right now. Not that I won't be great in 50 years or something. I, mean, I hope I will be. You know what I mean? But right now is the best for God. So why put off giving God our best while we go out and do our own thing? God loves a costly sacrifice. Fast internet, fast commutes, fast food. We're a culture of immediacy but that's not always God's way. As Pastor Daniel takes us through Noah's story, we'll hear just how patient Noah was for God's timing. We are impatient, but there is blessing in waiting on him. We can't anticipate the ending, but we can count on him to be faithful. Now here's Pastor Daniel in the book of Genesis, chapter 8, verse 13, with our continuing study entitled, The Flood. So it's not that God's unclean, you're bad. It's just that life that could have been birthed didn't have a chance to live. It's meant to show the people that God loves life. God cares about life. And that even the potential of life that isn't fulfilled, in some ways, there's a resting period after that. See, oftentimes we just, especially when we look at it with a skeptical point of view, you're like, oh, God must hate women. No, 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 no. God doesn't hate women. I don't want to get off on a total tangent, but it's interesting that in cultures that the gospel has never touched, they have the worst records of human rights against women. Look at any culture that doesn't have the gospel of Jesus Christ, and look at how women are treated. You're going to tell me that God doesn't like women? You're going to tell me that, that Christianity is oppressive to women? no, 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 no. No, 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 no. You can't get away with that. It's interesting that in a culture that women have all the same rights as men, they'll say, oh, well, religion's bad for the dilemmas between the sexes. I'm like, you have to be kidding me. I'm like, if you, if you grew up in a country that wasn't founded on the Bible, women wouldn't even be allowed to learn how to read. We were horrified when we found out what the Taliban were doing in, in Afghanistan, weren't we? Women weren't even being taught how to read. Jesus was the greatest champion of women, all through the scriptures. So, I get up on this tangent because ravens were considered to be unclean animals, not allowed, unfit for consumption. But then, of course, you have the dove. And who is the dove the symbol of? The Holy Spirit, right? The dove throughout the scriptures is a symbol of the Holy Spirit, and what's fascinating is that we know in the New Testament when Jesus is baptized that, that the Holy Spirit descends bodily on him like a dove. And the dove is, has been historically a picture of peace, a picture of peace. Now, preachers make all sorts of applications for this picture and What's interesting is that as a Bible teacher, you realize that you can kind of make these things mean really whatever you want. If you study historical theology and all the different from different generations, everybody has a different picture that they want to bring out of this. I think the reality is, is that Noah really used a raven and he really used a dove. But I think what's fascinating is that when the dove found no place to rest, it came back. And if the dove is a picture of the Holy Spirit, the question for you and I is, has the Holy Spirit found a resting place in your life? Because what's interesting is that the raven, the raven who's unclean, has no problem that it doesn't have a resting place. Just goes and goes and goes. Some preachers say that it's a perfect picture of the flesh. The flesh that just keeps going. Has no problem. But the dove goes on out. When it doesn't find a place to rest, it returns back to its owner. And I think the question for us should be something like, Lord, does your Holy Spirit feel comfortable indwelling in my life? Lord, is my heart a dwelling place for your Spirit? John 13 and 17. All of the teaching about the Holy Spirit and who the Holy Spirit is and what the Holy Spirit wants to do in our lives. And I don't know about you all, but it's really easy to go to church. It's really easy even to serve And it's easy to live life and be a Christian, but really not sense like the Holy Spirit is really at work in my life. And and I wonder sometimes if part of our problem is that we can trust a lot of other things other than the Holy Spirit. You know, it's hard to trust the Spirit of God when we have access to so many human means to do things. Now, when you say something like that, most people would then say, well, you know what? So we should get rid of everything so that we have to trust the Holy Spirit, right? That's, that's the falling off the other side of the horse. I think the key for us in 21st century America is to learn how to be radically spirit-dependent in the midst of a world that we have a lot of opportunity. That, that, is, that is a big, big thing for us, isn't it? Lord, can I be totally dependent on you with health insurance, with credit cards, with a big house, with a second freezer. Can I really be led by the Spirit and not trust in all of those things? And the the beauty is to whom much has been given, what? Much will be required. So God has blessed us with so much. Can we let the Spirit lead us in how we lavish Him upon the world through our means? And even the poorest person in the sanctuary right now is still radically wealthy by the world standards. Do you realize that 2.4 billion people on this globe today is living on less than $2 a day? Have you ever tried to live on $2 in one day? That would be a fun experiment, wouldn't it? If someone was to say, hey, look, for the next 30 days, we're going to live on $2 a day. Could you imagine that? No. I couldn't imagine that. I mean, most of us blow double that just on a coffee. And not that a coffee's bad, per se, but imagine living your whole life on $2 a day. So no matter what we have or don't have or how we sense ourselves stacking up against somebody else, the question really is, is that, man, we have been given so much in this country. We've been given such privilege and Can we, with such privilege, allow the Holy Spirit to use our lives? Does the Holy Spirit have a resting place in me? Does he have a resting place in you? Does has the Spirit been able to set up shop in your heart and in my heart? Redecorate the interiors of our lives? See, in a lot of ways, we we believe that Jesus dwells within our hearts, right? But does he feel like a visitor? In our hearts. You know, it's like, have you ever visited someone's house? Stayed with them? I remember in my younger years, when I, before I was married, I did a lot of couch surfing. A lot of it. You know, and, and it's kind of a weird thing when you're the couch surfer, right? You have no say over what's going on. You're just happy to be able to lay your head on a couch. But it's a whole other thing when it's your house, right? You set it up nice. You, you like the way it looks. You like what's going on in there. And would to God that our hearts would truly, truly be the Spirit's home and that the Spirit would truly be Lord in our hearts and in our lives. So the dove doesn't find any place to be. Comes on back. Noah lets him back in. Then Noah again waits more time. And he sent the dove out. And then the dove doesn't return. And Noah then knows, of course, the waters have receded. Now, in verse 13, it says this. Now, it came to pass in the 601st year, in the first month, the first day of the month, that the waters were dried up from the earth. And Noah removed the covering of the ark and looked. And indeed, the surface of the ground was dry. And in the second month, on the 27th day of the month, the earth was dried. Then God spoke to Noah, saying, Verse 16, go out of the ark, you and your wife and your sons and your sons' wives with you. Bring out with you every living thing of all flesh that is with you, birds and cattle and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth so that they may abound on the earth and be fruitful and multiply on the earth. So Noah went out and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him. Every animal, every creeping thing, every bird, and whatever creeps on the earth, according to their families, went out of the ark. Now, this is pretty simple. Noah looks out. He sees that the ground is dry. He waits a little more time because he wanted it really to be dry. And then God says to him, now I want you to go. Now, I think what's interesting about this is if I was Noah and I've been sitting on that ark for a long time and I popped the top off and I was like, hey, it's dry. What would I do? I would get out, right? And so would you. You'd be like, man, we're out of here. Enough time on this ark. But Noah didn't. Noah actually waited for God to say, now's the time. You know, we just talked about the spirit having rest in our hearts. God's timing is not our timing. And I don't know about you, but that's really frustrating, isn't it? Isn't it hard? Isn't it really hard to be on God's rhythm and time as opposed to our own? For a lot of us, our main gripe in our spiritual lives is that we want something that God says not now on. I remember for me when I was a single guy, I was a single senior pastor, that wasn't fun. You know, and I remember it's like, I'm like, Lord, come on. Look at me, lonely Daniel. Come on, Lord. Now, now, now. I'm preaching good, Lord. Come on. Like, as if I could like, I could trade like ministry service for a wife, you know. Like, come on, Lord. I preached a fiery sermon. Come on, Lord. The Lord's just like, Daniel, wait. Wait. You know, and and then as you're waiting, when you start to seek the Lord, the Lord's like, don't you realize this is a gift right now? And you're like, see, God's timing is perfect. God knows exactly why he has you waiting. And so if you're here today and you are not waiting Patiently I want to encourage you This waiting period is actually a gift If you're willing to receive it What I realized in the seven years That I waited for my wife For for God to bring Lynn into my life God gave me the greatest gift Because he's like Daniel You don't know how to be a godly husband You don't know how to do that Let me teach you Let me teach you You think that your relationship with me is going to get easier when you get married? (laughs) For those of you who are married, you know what I'm talking about. All of a sudden, there's somebody else in the mix who has good days and bad days and up days and down days and really thinks you're great one day and really thinks you're a louse the next day. Right? See, God's timing is perfect, and the key for us is to learn how to wait patiently for the Lord. To say, God... Not my will, but yours be done. Lord, you're not late. I'm early. You're always right on time. And I love this because Noah waited. He waited for God to say go. And when God said go, what did he do? Noah went. Maybe the greatest lesson we learn from the life of Noah is simple obedience. God says do this, and Noah does it. God says do this, and Noah does it. God doesn't tell him to leave, so he doesn't leave. He doesn't presume That now that the ground is dry, it's time to go. He waits. And God says, go, take all the animals with you. And Noah finally says, okay. But he waited for God. And I realize that in a culture like America, waiting on God's timetable is a hard thing, isn't it? Because, I mean, we're used to, we're in an immediate culture. Quicker internet. Quicker food. You know, we're on everything like yesterday. But God's timetable is the best timetable. So in verse 20, look at what happens. It says, Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took of every clean animal and of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And the Lord smelled a soothing aroma. Then the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground for man's sake. Although the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth, nor will I again destroy every living thing as I have done. While the earth remains, verse 22, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, winter and summer, and day and night shall not cease. Now it's fascinating. Noah gets off the ark and automatically wants to give God an offering. And I think that's fascinating. The Bible talks about this as the first fruits. See, for most of us, right, when something good happens, we just want to celebrate, right? Like when your tax return comes in, we all have those things paid out before we get them, right? When was the last time you said, Lord, I got this tax return coming in. What do you want me to do with this? I know some of you are like, I ain't praying that. Uh -uh. (laughs) Uh-uh. Pastor Daniel, come on. Right? See, our first inclination is to say, well, listen, I could really use, you know, a, a new baseball man. I could really use a new computer. I mean, I could pay off some bills. You know, maybe it's time to get that spring wardrobe out. But Noah's first inclination is to bless God is to come and say, God, I just want to bless you. And it's amazing because Noah takes up the clean animals and he starts sacrificing them to the Lord. Starts blessing the Lord. And it says, and the Lord smelled a soothing aroma. I love this. God's a big fan of barbecues. I love that about the Lord, you know. God was not a vegetarian. You know, he, he smelled that sacrifice and he said, Mm. Now I, I say this because next time you're at a barbecue, and you and you get that that smell in your nose, you're like, "Mmm," I want you to say, "Lord, yes, Lord, thank you." It's one of the ways we know we're Christ-like. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but you know what's interesting? You know, I talk about a tax return, but really, God's word says that we should present our bodies as living sacrifices. Holy and acceptable to God, which is our reasonable service. That's uh, Romans chapter 12, verse 1. See, the best sacrifice that any of us can give to the Lord is ourselves. And that's the totality of who we are. It's everything that we're involved in. See, God is not impressed with a compartmentalized spirituality, but a truly holistic spirituality, where we give God our hearts and everything else comes with it. And that includes our finances, the way we spend our time, who we are, and we say, Lord, this life is yours. What do you want to do with it? What do you want? And what to God, that as Christians, we would say, Lord, this is yours. However many days you give me, whatever it looks like, this life is yours. God, what do you want to do with this life? See, it's also interesting that costly sacrifices please God. Did you ever think about that? God always wants the best of our lives. You think about David, who, who didn't want to give to God what cost him nothing. God loves costly sacrifices. Why? Because God gave us the costliest sacrifice, his own son. See, for most of us, we give our best to something else, and we give God what's the leftovers. But actually, it should be res- reverse. We should give God the best of our lives. I remember for me, when God called me into the ministry, I, I had a, a budding music career. I was going on the road. I was releasing albums. It was all happening. I said, Lord, you know, I was making deals with God. You know, God, you know, so when, when I'm like 50, then, then I'll serve you, God. You know, this is my time. This is a bad prayer. Because the Lord was like, Daniel, why don't you give me your best? Which is right now. Not that I won't be great in 50 years or something. I I hope I will be. You know what I mean? But right now is the best for God. So why put off giving God our best while we go out and do our own thing? God loves a costly sacrifice. And he does it because God, his only son, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever should believe it. It didn't say, you know, for God so loved the world that he gave, like, you know, the wicked stepchild who he couldn't wait to get rid of. You know, that God so, God so loved the world that he gave the leftovers, the thing he couldn't wait to get rid of. You know, it's like, <laughs> I hate to say it, but, you know, it's funny, the things that when, and not that this has happened here, but like, you know, as a pastor, it's like people are like, hey, I want to donate something to the church. You know, and they give you like a broken dryer. And you're like, man, thank you so much. What am I going to do with this? I had that happen one time. Somebody came, they called, Pastor Daniel, you know, know, we're cleaning out the house and we have some things we want to give to the church. We're like, oh, praise the Lord. And sure enough, man, the stuff that they dropped over, I'm like, man, why don't you just drive it to the dump? What am I going to do with this stuff? I was like, hey, thanks. (laughs) You're like, what am I going to do with this stuff? (laughs) But let's be honest. We do this with God all the time, don't we? We we give everything else our best. And we give God what's left over. Now, what's fascinating is that Noah, Noah comes off the ark. He starts to sacrifice, right? And then God says in his heart, I will never again, as verse 21, curse the ground for man's sake, although the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth, nor will I again destroy every living thing as I have done. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, winter and summer, and day and night shall not cease. I love this. Pastor Bill said this, that God's mercy always trumps his judgment. So you see that? He's like, look. I'm never again going to curse the ground, although the heart of man is wicked. See, I love that about the Lord because, I mean, this whole passage is about God starting over again. What's gone on has spun out of control. God wants to save Noah and his family and those animals. And we're going to see in the next couple chapters that he's going to repopulate the earth with Noah's family. But God says, look, even though mankind's heart is still wicked, I'm never again going to curse the ground like I did. And I love that. And then he says, "Look, while the earth remains seed time and harvest, cold and heat, winter and summer, and day and night shall not cease. This is beautiful because what he's saying is that life's going to continue to go on. And I want to just close now with just a a simple application. Seed time and harvest time, cold and heat, winter and summer, day and night. It's simply this. Life is seasonal. Do you realize that life is seasonal? Some days are going to be seed time when you're working really hard and nothing, you're just like, I'm just working, I'm not getting anything. And then there's other times when it's harvest where you're working hard and you're reaping. There's nighttime and daytime. There's times when it's cold and there's times when it's hot. And I think one of the things that is important for us, for each one of us, is to learn how to praise God no matter what season or in See it's really easy to praise God to say God you're so good when you're in harvest time It's really easy to say God you are amazing when when it's summer and it's gorgeous and everything is blossoming and it's phenomenal and it's all happening But really when it's winter time and life is barren things aren't going well things aren't happening right Do you realize that God is equally in that season So I want to encourage you, no matter what season it is right now, God is still God. God still loves you. God is still for you and not against you. And every season is important in the purposes of God. So no matter what's going on in your life, brothers and sisters, be encouraged because God is still at work, even if it's not an easy time. Jesus is real. I want to thank you so much for listening to Jesus is real radio. We are on the radio because we want to see all of God's children learn how to simply respond to Jesus. Jesus is at street level, He is where the rubber meets the road in your world. In my world Right where we are And where everybody is And it is our hope To see Jesus' real radio Reach every single living soul Who is alive on the earth In this generation God's heart Is that not any should perish But that all would come to repentance And we realize the radio Is an amazing opportunity To reach some of the more than Six or seven billion people on the earth So listen we're on the radio because people have given so that we can be. Now listen, God is generous. And God invites us to be generous in the entirety of our lives. You should be plugged into a local church. And you should be faithfully giving to that local church. We thank God for the local congregation Scattered all over the world But if you're one of those people Who want to step into giving Over and above What you would to your local congregation And if you're being blessed By the Jesus is Real Radio Ministry We would invite you to come And partner with us Literally we want to see The message of the good news Of the finished work of Jesus Not only reach everybody here in America But everybody across Europe In the 1040 window Across Southeast Asia all the way, all the way to the Far East for us We want everyone here And it's going to take people like you and like me To step on into that So seek the Lord and simply respond to Jesus And we're going to trust Him to do all that He wants to do With Jesus Real Radio God bless you